welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. Father, I just thank you for your presence here today. And I pray, God, that as I bring what you've called me to speak about this morning, God, that you would reach into people's hearts as I know you will, Lord, and that you would open their eyes to who they really are in you. I pray, God, for greater revelation so that we can walk out of church this morning with a greater understanding of who you are, your love for us, God, and that we can walk in your power and in your strength and in your glory. I pray that you give me wisdom and clarity in what I bring this morning. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we were all created with those basic needs of significance, so to be loved for who we are, that we make a difference in someone's life and that there's meaning and purpose to our lives, that we were all born with significance, that we have security, that we're loved unconditionally by the people around us and by, the, by God who loves us so much, that we feel that under, unconditional love, that we're not uh, striving or acting or trying to be something to get that security, to have that security. And we're all born with a need for a hope for the future, that there is... It's like the hope is like the petrol in the car. Like we're the car, and if we don't have hope, the car stands still and goes nowhere and stagnates. But petrol is the hope in the car. It's like God in us, the hope in the car that propels us forward, that gets us moving, that gives us uh, direction and, and a way to go. So obviously, we all know that God is the only one who can truly meet all those needs in us. It's only God, because in him we live and move and have our being. It's this life in Christ that gives us our true identity. The Passion Translation says in Acts 17, 28, it is through him that we live and function and have our identity. And just as your own poets have said, our lineage comes from him. So whether you know God or not, it's him that gives us our breath. He has made us, he has appointed us for this time in history. I was listening to this song this morning. We were born for such a time as this. He put you with the body that you're in on this earth for such a time as this. It's not a coincidence. It's not just didn't happen by chance. God put you here. But anything else that we use to gain our significance and security and hope is just a temporary fix. We look to other people. We look to things. It's just a temporary fix. And we'll always have that vacuum. We might feel good for a while, but we'll always have that vacuum, that emptiness inside us. And that was my problem. And I felt that I did have this emptiness, and, and I was tormented. In the, every morning I'd wake up, and I've said this before, and I would just have this dark cloud hanging over me and, and just tormented by thoughts that the enemy would put in my mind, that I thought were mine, that it's too late, I, I've missed the boat, I won't make it in life. There's more I should have done. There's more I could have done in the way I raised my kids, in my marriage. And so I would, just, I would have to jump out of bed to stop these thoughts hammering at me. And people probably would have said that I was a mature Christian because I'd been in church all my life and I was a Christian for most of that time. And so outwardly I, I was doing all the right things and I followed the Christian disciplines and I read the Bible and I worshipped and I, I journaled and I went to church Every Sunday, nearly sometimes twice on a Sunday, because I went to a church where you went twice on a Sunday. And I was serving and I was giving. But now I've come to understand 
that that's not maturity at all, how long you've been going to church and how much... You can know the Bible back to front and still not be a mature Christian. Because I've come to understand that the mark of a mature Christian is, and, and growing in, mature, in maturity is that you understand more and more each day of the fullness that you've received in Christ and your identity and your position in him. When you walk in that maturity of the fullness of your understanding of who you are in God, then you have joy, then you have freedom, then you have peace and rest because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Then you have abundant life because he came to bring us life and life in abundance. Then you have the freedom because where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. And when we know the truth, who is Jesus is the truth, then we will be set free and we'll know what freedom is. But I want to quickly tell you today that where I was living was not in that life. I was living on what the world system would call the ladder. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is the ladder. I bought into the ladder system. The ladder says that I will have significance if the further I am up the ladder. I will have security the further I am up the ladder, the higher I am. And the closer I get to the top of the ladder, I will begin to experience um, the fulfilling of all my hopes and dreams. That'll just, once I'm at the top, it will just, fireworks, everything will be wonderful, I'll, I will have made it. And that's the ladder that I was on. There's all different sorts of ladders. There's the social ladder, the financial ladder, the business ladder, the sports ladder, the beauty ladder, the religious ladder, the church ladder. And we can all buy into the lies of the enemy that says that we have to climb that ladder to find the significance, the security and the hope that we need. I distinctly remember being at school in, a, in year 11 and I got a lot of my significance from my sporting achievements. And I was a very fast runner and there was one girl in year 12 that could beat me. And in year 11, we had this race and I nearly, nearly beat her. And I was trying so hard and then I pulled a hamstring. And so, and so before the end of the race, I had to, to pull out and she beat me. Well, I thought, doesn't matter. Next year, because she was in year 12, next year she's leaving school. I'll be in year 12. I'll be the fastest runner. Well, wouldn't you know it? Year 12 came, a new girl came to the school and she could beat me. And so my significance of being the fastest runner in the school just went downhill. And we can all experience that in different areas in our life where we're striving to be something, but there's always someone ready to take our place. As soon as we fall back, as soon as we forget something or do something or don't perform as hard and we don't get the promotion that we want, there's always someone to come in and take our place. So standing on the ladder is never secure. The rungs are slippery. There's always someone higher than you. There's always someone lower than you, which you don't really care about. Well, I shouldn't say that. You do care about them, but you sort of are glad that they're lower than you because you feel better because you're higher on the ladder. And you might even stand on their fingers to sort of make them let go. Or if they're higher on the ladder, you might sort of pull on their feet to make them lose their grip on the rung so that they'll fall and you can grab their spot. I mean, it sounds bad and, and I laugh about it. And I can see you laughing about it too. But the truth is, some of us have been there and some of us, in some way or another, are still there. So it's a counterfeit of your true significance and security. The ladder will never get you what you're really looking for. 
It tells us we have to do something else to make ourselves better. We have to do more. And so whether you're at the top of the ladder or at the bottom, you're still on the ladder. Because when you're on the bottom and you, th and you give up and you, self you reject yourself because you, you hear someone criticise you or you hear someone say something not nice to you and then you think, see, that's right, that's who I am. I'm just pitiful, I'm just unworthy, I'm just never going to make it, I'm at the bottom of the ladder. But the truth is you're still on the ladder. So you're still operating out of the world system and not of what the kingdom of God says about you. And of course, we all know that the sin that causes to be on the ladder is pride. And that pride came from Lucifer. It's what caused him to fall and to become Satan. And we know that he fell from heaven because he wanted to climb the, same, to climb the ladder and be the same level as God and exalt himself. That's what Satan wanted. And he even tempted Adam and Eve with that same sin of pride by saying that if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. And the funny thing is, Adam and Eve were already like God because they were made in his image. They were made in his likeness. They were already in him. He created them out of himself. He breathed life into them. He breathed his life into them. But somehow they believed the lie from Satan that they had to do more to feel better about themselves that in some way God was holding back from them, that, that who they were and what they, and what they did wasn't enough. So any time that we try to achieve our significance or our security or our future, hope for our future, any time we try and do that, we're doing that apart from God and we're on the world system of the ladder. Most of us were introduced to that ladder at an early age in our families of origin. So most of us didn't have perfect parents and so our parents unknowingly or knowingly uh, gave conditional love. Like if you behaved yourself, then you were given love or you were given the toys that you wanted or you were taken out to McDonald's or... And that's not a bad thing in itself, but if you felt like you had to perform to, to get love, then you were already then understanding what the ladder was all about. And that translates also over into our adult life. Or when we go to school first, we... We're looking for attention at school. We're seeking attention. We're seeking attention from teachers, from our friends. I still remember in grade three being devastated, absolutely devastated, because the teacher said to me in front of the class, you spelt sugar wrong. I spelled S-U-G-E-R. But no, I was really like, oh, I spelled sugar wrong. But I'm a really good speller. How can I do that? And so I remember feeling that, that thing of, I have to strive harder, I have to be better. And we've all had experiences like that. While I'm talking to you, I'm sure you can think of experiences like that, where you felt like you had to do more to be better. I spent my, most of my life on that ladder, striving to be something, striving to be more. And that's where it took me on that Sunday, more, at that Sunday afternoon in the backyard, thinking, you know what, I'm just not happy. Even those of us who've like seemingly have had happy and carefree lifestyles or carefree childhoods, in some way, Satan still has deceived you in thinking that you need to be on that ladder. He's very subtle. And one ladder that I think we can all relate to is the ladder of self-worth in the relation to how we look. And I really want to address that one today because that's something that I really struggled with. It's one area that I really bought into the lies of the enemy, starting with when I was very young. So not hearing from my parents that I was lovely, that I was pretty, that I was cute. I, I never remember hearing that. This is not to 
blame my parents again. It's just about my perceptions. It's about going to my friend's house and hearing her mum always call her beautiful and her saying to me, oh, your mum must call you beautiful all the time. And me just not saying anything and thinking like, no. I remember being teased about the way I looked because when I woke up in the morning, I used to get this bird's nest in my hair. And I'd always look <laughs> weird in the mornings. And so my siblings teased me about that. When I was about 12 or 13, I started to get really bad skin. And so I felt really unworthy when I talked to other people because I could see them looking at my bad skin. So all these things accumulated to make me feel like I wasn't beautiful enough, I wasn't pretty enough. You know, I even began to believe the lie that if you were beautiful, you were more valuable. If you were beautiful, you had more opportunities, you were able to um, be connected better with other people, other people liked you better. Um, even God must not love you as much as others because he didn't make you beautiful. And so it's amazing how Satan will use those lies to bring you into a really small place, a place where you disempower yourself, a place where you um, become so self-centred, self-centred that you focus on how you look all the time that you can't see ahead of you who you are in God. So if we believe the lie that that good looks or beauty will bring significance, then we become enslaved and in bondage to the way we look. And we become our own idols because we're worried about how we look all the time. So whether we think we're good looking or not, we're still on the ladder. We'll either use our looks to gain significance and attention and, and draw significance from that, or we become self-conscious and withdraw and disempower ourselves because we think we're not pretty enough, good enough, handsome enough, skinny enough. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to look lovely. If we worry about how we look all the time, then we have allowed the image of the world to be imprinted on us more deeply than the image of Jesus and his life in us. In fact, we, as I said earlier, we become our own idols. See, I want to feel attractive because I just want to look nice, as we all do. But I want to feel attractive with the love of Jesus in me. I want Jesus to be imprinted on me. I want... That's where I want my attractiveness to come from. And that's where I want my beauty to come from. And of course, that's what God says in his word. He doesn't look at the out... Man looks at the outward beauty, but God looks at the heart. So let me quickly just address here too about Facebook. Because Facebook... I've had a love-hate relationship with Facebook. You know, it's been around 10 years. So for 40 years or more of my life, I didn't have to worry about Facebook. But in the last 10 years, it's there. For me, it's either, it's an, either an evil or a good thing. And it's how we look at it. And I think we can use it for good because there's so many great things that we can read on Facebook, learn on Facebook. I love people's posts on Facebook. I love looking at Bill Johnson, Lance Wallnow, um, all those people, Johnny Enlow. I love looking at their posts and being encouraged by it. But when you go into your news feeds and look at everything else that everyone else is doing, and all the things that people put on, which again isn't bad in itself. But let me tell you what research has discovered. Research has drawn a connection between Facebook use and symptoms of depression, thanks to our tendency to compare ourselves and our lives to the images of our friends. A study published in the Journal of Psychology found that the more time you spend on Facebook, the more likely it is for you to feel depressive symptoms. And the underlying mechanism is social comparison. 
So essentially, the reason you feel these feelings is that you tend to socially compare yourself to your friends. This study goes on to say that if you're looking at your friends' highlight reels, you might feel that you don't measure up. But of course, that's a distorted view. And so they suggest that the image of your fabulous friends are causing you to feel more depressed. Maybe you need to step away. And there's, tr there's truth in that. If you're looking... Look, I can look at Facebook and look at my news feeds and it, say if you're, 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 you've got a bucket that's full of joy, once I start going through my news feeds, I can start feeling my joy drip from my bucket, my sense of contentment drip from my bucket. Because the enemy starts talking to me. Oh, see, they've got much more interesting lives than you have. They're travelling. Look what their children are doing. Look what they're achieving in their business. And I can start to feel my joy or my contentment disappearing. So we need to be careful what we do with Facebook, how much time we spend on it, how, and the purpose for why we use Facebook. So I want to present you with a picture totally opposite to the latter. A picture of rest, a picture of freedom, a picture of finding your identity and significance and hope in God, a picture of being cradled in the palm of God's hands without striving, without struggle, without shame, without unworthiness, in total freedom. You see, we all know that when we're, before we've come to Christ, our spirits are dead and we're living in a, a sinful world and we're all in some way have been trained to get on the ladder. But when we're born again, our spirits come alive to God. When we accept God into our life, when we understand who he's, what he's done for us, what Jesus did on the cross, our spirits are born again. They come alive. So there's just joy, like rivers flowing through us. There's fireworks. You just imagine your spirit just coming totally alive, 100% alive in God. 2 Corinthians says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things the previous things, the, 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 the moral, the spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And the Amplified says, because spiritual awakening brings new life. Paul says 165 times in the New Testament that we are in Christ. 165 times. I think he's trying to make a point. 165 times. So when we're born again, our sin nature is gone and we forever belong to Jesus. John 5.24 says, I speak to you eternal truth. This is from the Passion Translation. If you embrace my message and believe in the one who sent me, you will never face condemnation. For in me you have already passed from the realm of death into the realm of eternal life. So even if you sin, you will never face condemnation, no longer face condemnation. John 10.28 says, I give to them the gift of eternal life and they will never be lost and no one has the power to snatch them out of my hands. Do you hear that? No one has the power to snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me as his gift, so we were given to Jesus as his gift, is the mightiest of all, and no one has the power to snatch them from my Father's care. And one more, Isaiah 49, 16. See, I have engraved you in the palm of my hand. So we are in the palm of God's hand. The word picture is that he's engraved us in the palm of our hands. Now, I don't know whether that means because he sees, Jesus sees the scars of the, um, of the nails in his hands that he th thinks of us or whether we're actually engraved on the palm of his hands. It doesn't matter. The fact is that Jesus, God, looks at the palms of our hands and never forgets us 
Actually, in Isaiah 62 verse 3, it says, You will be the crowning glory of, of the eternal's power, a royal crown cradled in his palm and held aloft by your God for all to see. So that's who we are. Children positioned in the palm of God's hand. That's a picture that I want you to see. We are in the palm of God's hand. We're adopted as his children. We're sons and daughters of the king. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're loved, accepted, secure, significant with a hope for the future. We are in Christ. So we've been restored and reconciled to life itself. We're one with Jesus and the Godhead. God's life lives in us and has made his home in us. We are the temple of God and we are seated in heavenly places with him. That's who we are right now. Right now, that is who we are. When we surrender our lives to God, he makes us a part of his world. We don't make God a part of our world by our religious obedience or the things that we do. When we surrender our lives to God, when we fall into the palm of his hands, off that ladder into the palm of his hands, then he makes us a part of his life. So if that's who we are, if that's who I am in the palm of God's hand, why am I still struggling with that ladder? Why am I still finding myself on that ladder? Why am I still trying to climb the rungs of that ladder? And you know what it is? It's simple. And we've spoken about it before, but I want to reiterate it again and show it to you from a different angle. Is that because our minds are still programmed by our sin nature. So in ourselves, we are 100% righteous. God calls us saints. But our minds are not are programmed to what the world still thinks. Our minds are still programmed to the world system of the ladder. So we still sin because we're programmed that way. Now listen, we, that's the way we're programmed. Our old sin nature, who we are before we came to God, programmed our minds to be selfish, jealous, envious, competitive, angry, unforgiving, bitter, hateful, insecure, um, feelings of unworthiness, feeling like you're a worm. Our minds, that's what Satan has done, has programmed us to feel that way. And even our parents and our the teachers, people in authority, friends, unwittingly have said things to us that have made us, that have programmed our minds to the way we think about ourselves. And they haven't meant it. Like, I, I mean, I, as you all do, I loved and adored my children growing up. But I'm sure there's things that I said to them that caused them to think about themselves in the wrong way. They were programmed. But that's what renewing the mind is. Renewing the mind is starting to believe about yourself what God sees about you. We take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So it, it's not a striving thing saying like, oh, I had that bad thought. Oh, now I've got to, I've got to take it captive. Oh, I can't, I, I can't think of that thought. That's, that's really wrong. Renewing the mind is, is saying, actually, that thought, that's not me. I didn't say that. that. That doesn't come from me. That comes from the enemy of my soul. That thought comes from, from my mind's programming from, from years ago. That's not who I am. It would be good if there was a delete button, like on the computer, because you delete a program, it's gone, and then I can start again. But we don't have a delete button. So we have to renew our minds. The, world, the God says in his word, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So we have to consciously know what the word of God says so that we can fully understand who we are in him. 
This is really key. Our unrenewed mind says, I sin, therefore I am a sinner. But God says, you are a saint, and therefore you should not sin. You are a saint, therefore you do not have the propensity to sin. You have the propensity not to sin. It's a way we look, it's a way we look at ourselves. So we only find freedom when we know that truth, when we know what God believes about us. See, we can get so down on ourselves and come under condemnation, saying, oh, I did that again. But we, we become so sin conscious that we create a disconnection between ourselves and God because God's not looking at our sin. He's looking at who we are in him. That's what he's looking at. And he wants us to renew our mind and not focus on our sin, but focus on our righteousness in him to renew our minds so that we become who he has already called us to be. You see, God is not looking at our present sinful actions to try and figure out what our identity is. Oh, this is what you've done and this is what you did in the past. And oh, okay. Um, oh, you lied. Oh, you're a liar. Oh, you, you drank a bit too much. You're a drunk. Oh, you um, got jealous of that person. Oh, you're, you're, you're an envious person. God doesn't look at us like that. He doesn't look at our sinful actions and say, well, this is who you are. You know what he does? He calls us what we're not yet, but to what he knows what we're becoming. Now, you think of that story again of Gideon. He was in the wine press threshing wheat because he was hiding from the Midianites because he was scared of them. He was, a, he was feeling like they were taking everything from the Israelites and, and they were sick and tired of it. They didn't know what to do and he was hiding from them. Now, God didn't come up to him and say, or the angel didn't say, the Lord is with you, you cowardly, measly mouse of a man. But that's what we would, would have said. But that's what God didn't say. God said, the angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon would have gone like, who, me? Looking around to see who, who, who God was talking to. Think of Moses. Moses was a murderer. Really, he, he, he murdered someone. Like if you think about someone today, uh, killing someone, murdering someone, going to jail, well, they would have that label, they're a murderer. Because we love to label people with things. We love to label ourselves with things. But God, didn't, God knew he was a murderer, but he called him a deliverer. He delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Sarah, she laughed mockingly at God when he said that she was going to have a baby. And yet in Hebrews, God calls her a woman of faith because he saw what she was becoming and that's what he called her. He wasn't focusing on her sin. He was focusing on her, the righteousness that she has in God. What about King David? I mean, he was an adulterer and a murderer and yet God called him a man after his own heart. And Paul says that in Acts. What about Peter? He betrayed Jesus three times and yet God said to him on this rock I will build my church so God calls us how he sees us and that's what we have to start believing about ourselves we have to declare over ourselves who God sees us he sees our inherent worth and value he sees who we are in him despite the negative things that we see in ourselves. He's our loving Father and nothing that we do, no wrong actions are going to change our identity in his eyes. We might try and change our identity every now and then and go back on that ladder. 
trying to prove our worth. And other people might tell us what our identity is because they're on the ladder too and they want to make sure that you're not going to get above them. But we have to know who we are, resting in the palm of God's hands. Who does God call you? What does he declare over you? What words has God spoken over you? I encourage you to, to sit with, with him and ask him, God, who, are, who am I? Who do you call me? Think of all the prophetic words that you've had, the encouragement from, from what you've had from people who aren't on that ladder, who've told you the, the worth and value that you have. What have they said about you? Who have they said that you are? Because that's the truth, not the lies of the enemy. So that's what life in the palm of his hands looks like. It's having that intimacy with God, knowing who you are in him and growing in all the fruit of the Spirit and in the gifts of the Spirit. You see, the more you understand who you are in God, now listen to this because this, this really changed me in the way I thought. The more you understand who you are in God and grow in this each day, so the more you understand that, the more self-control that will flow out of your identity because you understand who you are in him. So when something comes your way, like if I look at myself and the things that I struggled with in the past and, and I go to an event and a friend comes up to me and I go, oh, she, she looks really good. I don't. I don't say that to myself anymore. I say, hey, she looks lovely and, and that's amazing because God's got amazing things for her and she's going to influence people. God's going to use her to influence people and to bring his glory. And God loves me too and I'm beautiful too. I'm not that jealous person anymore. That's not who I am. So, I, so that thought wasn't, didn't come from me. Get behind me, Satan. And then you reprogram your thinking. You reprogram your mind. Those thoughts are still going to come, but don't have self-condemnation. Know where they come from and know what to do with them because they're not you. And then as more and more as you get self-control with those thoughts, with not thinking those thoughts anymore, then they'll come less and less because Satan will know he hasn't got a foothold in that area in your life anymore. So the more you operate in self-control, the more powerful you are and the more empowered you are. And then the more responsibility you take for what you're becoming. You don't play the blame game anymore. You don't say, oh, well, I'm like that because this person said that and my parents were like this growing up and I, they never came to my sporting events and they never supported me and they never told me I was beautiful. I mean, that's what I used to say about myself. But I, I don't play that blame game anymore. They had their own issues. They had things in their past that caused them to be the way they are. I can change. I can take authority and power now that God has given me and I can change the way I think and begin to think more and more like God and what he thinks about me. Because remember, we don't have to be on the ladder. We don't have to be the victims of the ladder. We don't have to be on, on there competing with other people and, and, and worrying about people's approval and, and worrying about what they're going to think of us and who's talking about us. And, and I remember my sister saying, because and, and, we've had this conversation, and, and she would say, I was always worried about school, about what people thought about me and, and how, how I looked and who I was. And she said, and then later on in life, when I would see those people 10 years or 15 years down the track, they didn't even know who I was. They'd totally forgotten her. So the, th the truth is they were never talking about her. They were never thinking bad thoughts about her. We think that. We think that people are thinking all that, and they're not. And if they are, they're on the ladder, and they should get off. 
And we're not on the ladder. We're not going to be on that ladder. And you know what? As a church, when we're all in the palm of God's hands, when we fall off that ladder, and if we're tempted to climb it, then we get ourselves off it again by renewing our minds, and we operate in the palm of God's hands, then we serve and love one another, knowing our identities in God, and then we're not scrambling for right standing by means of the ladder. I'm looking at your gift and you're looking at my gift and we're saying, wow, that's incredible. Our gifts together, as we work together, we can serve God together and bring his glory to the earth, bring his kingdom to the earth. It's not about, well, if I get to the top of the ladder and up here, well, then I'll be able to do this for God. Oh, you can still do what you do, but I will have the significance. I'll, I'll be the one to change that. No, we do it all together. We work all together with the gifts that God's given us. No matter what our giftings are, we work all together. We recognise the giftings in one another and we encourage one another so that we can fulfil our God-given mandate to make disciples of all nations and bringing his kingdom to the earth, bringing his glory to the earth. You know, Andrew was talking before about in the, in the offering about God's glory coming to, the, coming to the earth. And a part of that is we pray for God's glory to come to the earth, but his glory is in us. So unless we come into full identity of who we are in God, we can't release his glory because we don't know who we are. But when we know who we are, we can release his glory. So the release of his glory is God bringing his glory to the earth, but us bringing his glory to the earth as well, us doing the, what he's called us to do, our assignment in life. We've all been given a unique assignment in life that's unique to us. And we've all got a facet of his glory that's unique to us that he wants us to release. And when we do it all together in the palm of his hand, then, as a, then we release his glory to the earth. We bring his kingdom to the earth. So I want you to go home with this. You are etched in the palm of God's hand right now. He has your name in his hand right now. And he looks at his hands and he never forgets you. Whether you feel like it or not, you are etched in the palm of God's hands. God's love isn't conditional upon your good actions or your holiness or what you do or what you've done in the past. We have to stop struggling to find our position on the ladder and fall back. So I want you to take that picture home with you. Fall back into the palm of God's hands because this is the only place. The palm of God's hand is the only place that you'll experience true significance, security and that glorious, beautiful hope for the future that he has for all of us. Every day, tell yourself you are etched in the palm of God's hands. You're a royal crown cradled in his palm and he holds you aloft for all the world to see. Because when we humble ourselves in the sight of God, then he will lift us up. And it's like the Lion King holding the lion up. That's what God does with us, each one of us. He loves each one of us just the same and with that depth of love that he holds you up and cradles you in the palm of his hand. I hope that I've given you a different way of looking at yourself this morning. And I trust that as you go home that God will give you deeper revelation of how he sees you, that you're not a sinner who sins, but you're a saint who has the propensity not to sin. And when you feel tempted or when you do sin, you say to yourself, that's not who I am. Forgive me, God, for doing that, for having that thought. I, I repent. I, I'm going to change the way I think about that because I know that's not who I am. So let me pray for you. I just want to pray for you 
Ephesians 1.16. My heart is full of thanks to God for you. And I pray continually that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would unveil you in the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation through the fullness of being one with Christ. I pray that the light of God will brighten the eyes of your innermost being, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of our great hope of glory. We know that we know that is the reason he called you to himself. And I pray that you will truly experience, each one of us here today, all the riches of this wealth that has been given freely to all his holy ones. For you are his true inheritance. Yes, my prayer for you is that every moment you will experience the measureless power of God made available to you through your faith. Your faith, church, ignites what God has already done in you, ignites the hope that God has in you. you. We use our faith to step in to that place that God has for us, to step into that identity. Then your lives will be an advertisement of His immense power as it works through you. Thank you, God, that your power works through us. The world needs to see, God, your power in us. They need to see a difference in us. They need to see, God, how your power transforms our lives. So I pray, Lord, that each one of us would be able to walk in the transforming power that you have, God, that, that we would be able to transform our thinking, renew our thinking, God, that we walk in your love because they will know we are yours by the love that we show, God, by the glory that's in us, Lord. I pray that each one of us, God, will walk with that beauty of having the image of Jesus imprinted on us, that we will walk and that your glory would shine over each and every one of us and would shine through us, God. I pray that we would walk into supermarkets, into, into shops, into businesses, into work, and people would see your glory on us. They would see you shining through us, God, because we are so full of confidence. We are so full of joy. We have abundant life because we know who we are in you, God. We know we, you, that we are your children. We know, God, of your deep love for us and that we know that you've given each one of us an assignment to bring your glory here to earth, Lord, that we walk in your power and in your authority, Lord. I thank you, God, that you would use each one of us to bring your glory to earth. Father, I pray that you bless each person today, Lord. I pray for ongoing revelation this week, God, of who you are and our identity in you, God, and who we are in you. I thank you, God, for your love. I thank you for, for who you are, God. Without you, we're nothing. We are nothing, God, but with you we, are, we have everything.